Turn with me to Philippians, to the epistle, the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And we're going to go to chapter 3 and look at verses 8 to 12. I made a game time decision not to read 12 to 16, even though you really should do that. I should just offer homework every week or something, you know. Um, so we're going to just do 8 to 12 and, and look at this text today and, uh, and allow it to saturate us um, with its power. Notice these words here, found in Philippians 3, starting with verse 8. Indeed, this is Paul, and by the way, he's just explained, real quick, just because it doesn't make sense if we just jump right in. Um, he's just explained to the Judaizers, which are the ones who are trying to lay Judaism on new Christians. He's just explained to them his testimony, which is robust. He's basically like, look, you think you did the law well? I did it much better. But then notice what he said. And, he, and he's being, you know, a bit facetious with that. But notice what he says here. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, refuse, dung, in the KJV, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You so much for this Word. And now, O Lord, would You sanctify Your Word in our hearts, we pray in Your name. Amen. Wow. Paul's always deep, but here it's... He's getting down to the core of something that, you know, he's got this thing, if you notice literarily here, he's got loss, gain, right? Did you notice that? Then he's got forsake, for his sake, and then lost, but then found in him. What we're doing over the next few weeks is talking about the effects of Easter. And and I'm calling this series just Easter Effects. And... um. You know, we've already established that Easter does, in fact, affect everything. But sometimes it's good for us to explore what it is that, in fact, Easter does affect. And so, I want to start like this. If I couldn't do anything for you, would you love me? This is a question that has to be asked in marriage. It's a tough one. Do I really love you enough to keep loving you when you can't serve me in any way? 
Yikes. That's a tough one. A friend of our family, who has now passed on uh, in Mississippi, was paralyzed in a car accident. His name was Ken. And as he was lying there, you know, wrestling with this new normal of being paralyzed for life, there was a young man who was, according to his account, he said he was a good-looking young man, fit as could be, you know. And he was lying there as well. And to be lying in that room meant something was going on with paralysis. He said that the next thing he knew, there was this really nice-looking young lady who came in, took off her ring, placed it on his chest, said, I can't do this, and walked out. He couldn't even get it off his chest. Couldn't move. And he just began sobbing. And we know that not to be love. That's not love. We can all recognize it's something, but it's not love. It's a messed up situation, but it's not love. That story's always stuck with me. I was told that as a child, because it happened when I was, when I was little. And I, I've never forgotten that. I just, it's etched in my mind as what love is not. Would you love me if I couldn't do anything for you? This is, a, this is an internal question, isn't it, that we all kind of carry around with us? Do you love me for me, or do you love me because of what I do for you? Because what if I can't perform? What if I can't bring this to the table anymore? What then? Am I just a loss? Am I not worth something for me? You know, it shows the very nature of sin, doesn't it? Sin gives up, doesn't it? That's what sin does. Sin gives up. Sin stops fighting. Sin is cancerous and spreads doubt and uncertainty and ultimately death. And the reality is, sin runs through us all. Every single one of us have been impacted by this kind of of sinning. But love, love never fails, does it? Amen. Love never, ever fails. It won't. It can't. Not love. And do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God, and God is love. He won't fail us, and He loves us for us. Not what we can do for him. That's basically the big lesson in the Old Testament. You can't do anything for me, but look what all I'm doing for you. And then, of course, the lesson on the cross. You can't do this, but I can, and I do it for you. Vicariously. In your place. And for you. Wow. Wow. Knowing Jesus, Paul says, is better than everything. Just to know him. 
And I, I just, you know, this is something that I've been wrestling with. I mean, my goodness, I, you know, I, I can't remember a time where I didn't know Jesus and about Jesus and the things of Jesus and Jesus' way. And, but I do know of times where I wasn't following Jesus because of Jesus. I was following Jesus because I had to. I was following Jesus because it made me look good. I feel the pain of Paul when he says, I had it right on the outside. But it was on the inside that I found to be dead. And for everybody else, if you're cleaned up on the outside, that's great. It makes everybody else's life easier, trust me. But if you're not cleaned up on the inside, you're the one that's hurting. Everybody else may see something else. You may have put the facade up and projected like you needed to, and I was good at that. But at the end of the day, there was this darkness. There was this deadness. But thanks be to God. (laughs) At various times in my life, but one particular time when I was 17 years old in 1999, February 28th, around 8.30 at night, I fell in love with Jesus himself. Not just the benefits of Jesus. Not just the goodies of Jesus, but, but Jesus. I could say that I love Jesus for Jesus. I could say with Paul, look, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not me who's living in but him in me. And I was counting it all for loss. Everything else in my life. I was willing to say, Lord, what do you want? Because whatever it takes, I want this relationship with you. What if the benefits of following Jesus stopped? Would we continue because we love him? Or is our love so tied to what he does for us that we aren't really loving him at all? We're just loving the benefits that he provides for us. We're called to love the giver, not just the gift. The creator, not just the creation. Paganism falls short in loving the creation. The creation is awesome. I mean, you guys have studied it in school, and you went to school even further to study God's creation. But we are not to fall in love with his creation. Food is great. Material things are fantastic. There's some neat technology. This is all good. But we must not stop short. The creator is the best. If you, if you think his creation is awesome, which it is, the creator is above that and beyond that. It's his gift to us. We are to love the redeemer, not just his redemption for us even. I mean, I read this article that's just been really bothering me. I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically was saying, what if... There were no benefits to following Jesus. Would you still follow him because you loved him? And I mean, I started thinking, you know, this is very Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, they're not given the promise of heaven like we are. Or of resurrection clearly defined. Now some of them, of course, we've been looking at that and tracking that. Some of them are getting it. But for the majority, it was basically, look, 
You need to follow the law or your life's going to be really terrible here. You are going to go to the place of death, though, and that's where you're going to have to stay. Oh. So I'm just the benefits here. And now we've almost turned it to where now all we want from God are benefits now. If you don't make my kids healthy and if you don't give me money and if you don't make my life easy, then what in the world kind of God are you? That sounds a lot like the ring placement, doesn't it? I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. My life is about being easy. And I, I have to check my kids' prayers because they listen to me pray. And they pray like I do. And what I hear a lot of times is just about making life easy. <laughs> Lord, have our day to go good. What about help us speak the truth of Christ to someone? I mean, I'm saying it's my fault that they don't pray like that. As a parent. They've been listening to me pray too much, apparently. When you listen to the Lord's Prayer. His prayer for others. His example that He gives Himself to others. (laughs) We need to lift our gaze and ask ourselves the true question... Do we really love Jesus for Jesus? Not just for what he does for us. I mean, that, the benefits are the icing on the cake, man. But, but Jesus. Can we really say, well, just, just be honest for just a second. When's the last time you said, Jesus, I love you? You know what I mean? I had a, I won't say who, I had an uncle who, Said he wouldn't ever tell his wife he loved her because he told her he loved her once, you know. That just doesn't work well for most people. Maybe it worked for them, but it doesn't work for most people. Jessica needs me to tell her that I love her. My kids, they, they want me to tell. I want my kids to tell me they love me. That's why I say, Jackson, tell me you love me. I love you. Do you now? I mean, or is it just because I'm letting you play Fortnite, you know? Um. We need to know that, don't we? We need to hear it, and we need to hear it not just after we've done a job for someone. Hey, I really love you, man. I appreciate you. Do it just out of the blue sometimes. Hey, what's what's your angle here? Hey, angle. I love you. When's the last time we just told Jesus? Not when things are going well, but when everything's collapsed around us. Jesus, I'm so glad I don't live from my detached garage. I'm so glad I don't live for this world, but for you. I just want you to know I love you, and I'm in this just for Now, does God need affirmation? Of course not. But does he like it like a father? Like a brother? Absolutely. You know, my brother and I, we, um, <clears throat> we do love each other, you know. Uh, but we don't really say it often. <laughs> This is maybe too inside of a joke to even make any sense, but, but when I, we, we have a certain way that we hang up the phone when we're on the phone with each other that it's like, you know, it's, it's bro love. Like, I know what he's saying, and, and we're not saying it like, I love you too, Justin. You know, I mean, I just, I don't really do that often, you know. Like, I mean, I do it, so, you know, but it's just not every. But we got this code, you know, and Jessica's cracked the code. She knows what the terminology is, but it's bro love. But you know what? Sometimes he knows I need it, and he's just 
point blank said, hey, man, I love you, man. And it meant a lot to me. I needed to hear that. You know what? When's the last time we said to Jesus, Jesus, I love you. I love you for you. Are we just playing the game? Look, I know the game. Paul knows the game. He knows how to do all that. And I know how to do all that. I know how to work the angle. And sometimes it's useful, you know, because I'm not in a great mood and I have to play the angle. But if all our life is just projecting, something's wrong. If there's just emptiness here, if we don't really love Jesus, something is certainly awry. Paul says this, everything is rubbish, excrement, refuse, filth, dung. It's a variety of words that I looked up today uh, in various translations of the Bible compared to Christ. This is the strongest word he uses for this, by the way, in the whole New Testament. What scholars have said about this term, if you look it up, because, you know, who doesn't like to look up a word like that, you know, in the Greek? Um, it was actually used almost as a uh, obscene word, you know? Uh, it's kind of like saying in a professional setting, crap. It's like, you know, that guy's not very professional, you know? And he's using that to show the point. He's like, look, I've got the eloquence down, but notice what I'm doing. Ezekiel does the same thing, by the way. Ezekiel, if you ever read the prophet Ezekiel, he will use terse and coarse language to make a point. Because he's a priest, a dude with a robe on, and he's all proper. And you're like, oh, wow, he's, he's a holy guy. He never says a cuss. But then now he's talking about this, and you're like, dang, son, you're really getting loose here, letting your hair down. And, and that's the point. He's wanting to surprise you at how coarse his language is because he's trying to describe everything in my life is worthless. It's garbage to me. In the King James, of course, it's dung. I think of myself most of the time as a, as a smart person. I mean, I don't get like intimidated when I walk in a room with academic people or something like that. I'm not like, hope they don't ask me a question about God, you know. Um, <laughs> It's kind of what I've given my life to, and I hope that I've done a little bit of a good job in, in, you know, fortifying some of that knowledge. But I don't really know why I think of myself as a smart person, because quite frankly, I uh, graduated near the bottom of my class at Decatur High School, (laughs) completed one semester with all D's and an F, um, and I was just trying to survive in that place. I don't guess anyone had thought up homeschooling just yet. That probably was better for me if and, uh, and then out of my friends in college, I was the only one not to graduate with honors. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, I don't know why I think of myself as a smart person necessarily, but uh, I did the other day learn that I wasn't very smart around certain people, like plumbers, yeah. you know? I get around them, and uh, there's a new language that I'm learning. There's a new New terminology. I mean, I'm learning things like soffit and flashing and bird's mouth. I mean, I know what a bird's mouth is, of course, but I didn't know it goes on wood, you know. And um, the crown of a board. I mean, who knew that even existed? You know, I'm just learning so much since we're doing this construction project and all these new concepts and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I was talking to this plumber, and he said something very profound, truly. He said, there's two cardinal laws in plumbing. Well, he didn't say cardinal, but um, <clears throat> I'm, it just sounds more theological when you, when you add cardinal 
like the cardinal virtues in it, you know. Um, but he says the, there's two laws in plumbing that you you got to get right. Number one, this is the most important one, is uh, he said poop don't go downhill, uphill, sorry. Poop don't go uphill. And I thought to myself, that's amazing. I, I honestly had never thought about, like, just never really thought about that, right? And then I got to thinking, because I'm always trying to connect my life to the Bible. <laughs> and I got to thinking, now that's got to be a principle that we can use on Sunday just so I can talk about potty mouth stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> no, but there is something here. The Bible describes our relationship to Jesus and to God at large as walking. And oftentimes on this walk, we're going uphill, aren't we? I mean, sure doesn't feel like I'm going downhill most of the time. Wee, you know, there's not any of that. It's mainly uphill push, uphill drive. I feel like I'm going against the grain. Do you ever feel like that? But when this plumber said this to me, I thought, this may be a good thing because we can leave all the crap behind, right? Is that not good? I thought that was pretty good. I thought I'd get a better response than that. Maybe it's too coarse for some of you. You're too proper. So, so forgive me, okay? Forgive me. I, uh, I'm still stuck back in junior high sometimes. <clears throat> but look at this. Think about it. When we're going uphill, you've got to start shedding stuff. I mean, have you ever been backpacking before? I, I, like, prepared all kind of water. Next thing I know, I'm a mile in and dumping water out. I'm like, I don't need this stuff. This is too heavy. You start offloading. And you know what? I think the Lord wants us to meet him up on the mountain. And in order to do that, we got to leave some stuff behind. Let it flow right on downhill out of our life. Some of this refuse, this garbage. Paul says, look, I watched it sail right on down. And I'm not going back. If you actually continue reading, he says, look, I press forward, notice, to the upward call of Jesus Christ onto perfection. I want to be on that trek up, not going down to the sewers, but instead moving up to heaven. That's something to dance about, isn't it? To shout it. I mean, do, maybe do the floss. You know, my kids have been doing all this kind of stuff. The waste of life will trickle down as we walk with Jesus up the mountain, uphill, upward. When I look back, there's a lot of waste in my life. I'm just being honest. A lot of wasted time and energy and efforts and messed up relationships and words and concept. And, And that's why Paul says later, again, in your homework assignment, he says, look, I'm not looking behind. I'm looking forward and I'm looking upward. And I think that's where we find Jesus today. It's forward and upward, not back. There's plenty to mourn about behind us. But it's not time to look back. It's time to look up. It's time to go forward with Him, walking with Jesus. And what we'll find is that we will be a new person when we get to the top of that mountain. We won't be that same old person that started at the bottom. We will have lost the weight of this garbage that accumulates upon us. Jesus has made heaven come down so that we can go up. And man, that's something to say hallelujah about, isn't it? 
As Forrest Gump said, I might not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And that's love, friends, isn't it? And aren't we called to bring heaven down into some of people's lives that God has gifted us with? They may not be the ones that we want to have. They may not be able to serve us. They may be paralyzed by fear, anxiety, or a host of other demons. But our job this week is to bring heaven to them. They can't come to us. A paralyzed person cannot come to us. We go to them. Can you bring heaven down in your life? That means heaven has to be dwelling here. What's heaven? Holy Spirit, power, resurrection, power. Check this out. Let's do a connection here. You ready? Verse 10, that I may know him. What is knowing him? Loving him. But then notice, and, verse 10, the power of his resurrection. The power of resurrection life in us. You say, what does that look like? Oh, let me tell you. Sharing in his sufferings. It's not all hunky-dory. See, everything isn't automatically fixed because we got a lot of garbage in. And if he flushes all the refuse down, we go down with it. We got to walk out of this thing. We got to slowly allow him to burn off the dross of our life. The waste of our life. And sanctify us. I won't tell you the second law that he told me, but anyway. Here's the thing. Let's take a moment, even this morning, to worship Jesus. Isn't that why we came? Maybe what's already happened, you somehow missed worshiping Jesus. Maybe you missed Jesus. Maybe you're like grooving on the music, but you're you're not even loving Jesus. You're not loving on Jesus. If it's been a while since you verbally said to the risen Lord, I love you, Jesus. Now's the time. Now's the place. Love Jesus for who he is. The crazy is waiting out these doors. I don't just mean your kids. So why are you in this? You are in it, but why? The events, the effects, the results. Allow Jesus to walk with you through it all. The good and the bad. Let him teach you. Let him reveal his heart to you. I mean, yesterday wasn't the best of days for me, honestly. And I just said, Jesus, what? I mean, it took me all day to get to this point. But I said, at the end of the day, about 11 o'clock, I said, Jesus, what what were you trying to do today? Like, why did this stuff happen today as it did? And and all of this. And he said, because I'm trying to make you new. And it's a tough job. And sometimes we have to go straight uphill in order for you to drop off some of the garbage in your life. Did I see some garbage come out in my life yesterday? Absolutely. But by the end of the day, I saw it floating right down the drain. I looked into the clean-out pipe, and there it went. And it can for you, too. We can be made whole. 
We notice the terminology of the Bible. I'm not making this up. Cleansing. He wants to clean us out. Clean us up. Can you whisper today in prayer-like form, I love you, Jesus. I know you, Jesus, and I want to know the power of your resurrection life in me. Can we say everything is a loss for Jesus because I've gained Jesus? May it be so, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.